Hello, hi, welcome to a Friday special edition episode of the podcast. First, let me just say, I'm recording this pretty much in real time, the day before I release this. It's so good uh, to be with you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I went to Turning Point Faith's Pastor Summit last week, if you don't know. Um, uh, Now you know. And it was quite the experience. So I did a pretty thorough recap video on YouTube, and I pulled that audio for this podcast so you can listen to what it was like being really in a far-right Christian nationalist space surrounded by people and pastors who I've either heard about or have known through the grapevine and actually sitting down and talking to a lot of them. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Episode. You know, this kind of content takes a lot of time to make because I have to go, I have to think about this stuff, write up a script, say the script, edit the video, and then get it out. But I wanted to make sure I put this out on the podcast format for all of you to listen to because I'm... I'm learning more and more that a lot of the people on the podcast maybe don't go to YouTube or don't go to social media and vice versa, so I'm trying to get out important content like this on all platforms. Friends, I want to say... Um, I want to give you a short little life update on my end before I get into this uh, recap video. Everything on my end is really good overall, but there's a lot going on. Um, I was talking to my partner the other day and just telling her, like, you know, TNE, this work takes up a lot of time and more m- more importantly than even the time, a lot of headspace because I'm the only person on staff as a nonprofit, so I'm thinking about fundraising and I'm thinking about the admin stuff and I'm thinking about the board meetings and I'm thinking about the content and then being on Instagram and being in the, in the stories, then reading stuff and keeping up to date. On top of that, I don't know how many of you know this, but I'm actually a professional drummer and I play on the weekends uh, for a second income to help make ends meet because we live in New Jersey, a very expensive state, and I don't want to burden the nonprofit too much um, because I want that money to go back into the nonprofit. So this summer, I'm doing about 40 gigs um, between now and pretty much August. I'm pretty much playing two to three times a week. I get home very late. Uh, For example, Memorial Day weekend, I got home at 5 o'clock in the morning on Saturday and uh, 3.30 in the morning on Sunday, and then you know it's kind of back to the grind on Monday, plus we have two kids, so I don't say any of this stuff to complain at all. I'm just telling you what's going on in my life. I think me being honest and transparent with you is really important, uh, so you know that I am the same person on this microphone uh, that I am in my personal life, right? And so that's that's what's going on. I am definitely exhausted, but it's all great work. Like I, It's such a privilege to do this podcast, and it's a privilege to do stuff on social media, to be a content creator, and I will say one last thing before I I stop ranting and thank you for listening, but I am really convinced more than ever that we really need to think about the next evolution um, of the new evangelicals and we have to work and build coalitions with other people to really make a push to see the change that we all want to see in the evangelical church and more broadly speaking in culture. You know, People like, or places like Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk, Ben Shapiro, Daily Wire, they are shaping culture. 
They really are. And they, they, they are able to control narratives and they bring a lot of harm to people. You know, they, they target queer communities, they target BIPOC communities. And I'm just convinced more and more that we have to do our best to create new ways of resisting and also inviting people into better ways forward. So just because transparency is key to me, I really see TNE long-term heading in two directions. One is building out our community side. I think it's so important that people like you have access to meeting other people, either online, but more importantly, in your local area. I can't tell you how many people I meet, including myself, who tell me, I just want friends. I just want friends in my life. So I think we have an obligation to, to build out those systems. And the second thing is content, content, content. We need to be an, uh, a major player in in this content world that we live in because content does shape the minds of people. And we we think that the current content by right-wing media is really unhelpful. So I, those are two massive things. I mean, I can't do that on my own. We need to actually have staffing and, and secure major funding as a nonprofit. Um, but that's what I'm thinking about. That's the fire that is lit under my ass, frankly. Um, I'm just convinced more than ever that, that we are at a, uh, another moment in evangelical American history where we have a chance to push, to push things forward, to advocate for inclusion, in the church and also to let people know that there are better ways forward as Jesus people that are more inclusive and loving and graceful and empathetic. So that's what I'm thinking, okay? That's what's been sitting in my mind for months. I am motivated to do it and I really appreciate your support and your love. It means the world. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the work that we do, we are a nonprofit. Donations is how we make all this happen. It's how this content comes to your ears. Um, you can donate at the link in our bio or our link in our show notes. We are a nonprofit organization, like I said, which means all donations are tax deductible. Listen, there is never any pressure to give. Are you listening to that? There's never any pressure. And I know so many of us have experienced legitimate giving trauma. I totally get that. And that's why we are committed to financial transparency. You can literally go to our website, see how we're funded, and you will see public as as can be our profit and loss statement for last quarter. And we update it every quarter. So all the money is right there. The accounts are overseen by a treasurer and um, by an actual accountant. This is not my personal piggy bank, but the reality is as a nonprofit, Asking for donations is just kind of par for the course. So here I am asking you if you're able and willing to consider donating to make this work possible and to give us this foundation that we need to really build the next step of the new evangelicals, which holds space for thousands of people as they navigate better ways forward in the Christian tradition. Wow, that was a lot. Thank you for listening to that. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop ranting. I'm going to play this this audio. You will hear me say in the audio, hey, thanks for watching this video. That's because I pulled the audio right from the video. If you want to see all the graphics and all the clips and all of the things I added to it, you can go to our YouTube channel and check it out, youtube.com slash the new evangelicals. The video is right there. All right, friends, without further ado, here is my Turning Point Faith Pastor Summit recap. Thank you for listening. I would love your feedback. See you later. Hey friends, thanks so much for checking out this video. I gotta be honest, I really didn't know what to expect going into a pastor summit hosted by Turning Point Faith, but if I had to sum it up, I'd say it was a 
complicated experience. Now, before I go further, let me give a preface. First, if you don't know much about Turning Point Faith, here's the quick rundown. They are a branch of the nonprofit conservative group Turning Point USA, which was founded by Charlie Kirk. If you don't know much about Turning Point USA, check out my other video where I visited their annual America Fest and broke down the organization in detail. Turning Point Faith was started as the faith wing of the nonprofit in 2020 due to the COVID restrictions on all mass gatherings, which included churches. Charlie Kirk, speaking at this pastor's summit, said that he was shocked that churches complied with social distancing orders, and that was the motivation to start Turning Point Faith. On their website, Turning Point Faith says that they're on a mission to engage, equip, and empower Christians to change the trajectory of our nation. And yes, as you would imagine, this means being pretty much in lockstep with common right-wing priorities and talking points. And yes, as you can imagine, that was the focus of this event, but more on that later later on. Now, part of my job is to be as honest and ethical as possible as I talk about my experience at the Pastor Summit. The event organizers let me know that there was some concern about my presence there because this event wasn't as public as a typical Turning Point event like America Fest. They knew I'd be doing a recap video like this one and still allowed me to come and roam freely with no restrictions on who I talked to. I sincerely appreciated this because they didn't have to allow me to attend. Because we don't believe in doing hit pieces or treating others dishonestly, I will not be sharing names regarding any private conversations I had because there was no explicit consent involved, but I will share names of people on the platform because that is public information. Look, it's no secret, okay, that we openly critique Turning Point and Charlie Kirk and believe that they are causing great harm to people in our society. Yet, I was warmly welcomed by these people. Now, let me acknowledge the obvious in the room. Yes, there is white male privilege here, and I completely recognize that. These spaces are not safe for all the people in our community or for the folks that we advocate for. None of us can control how or where we were born, but we can control what we do with it. So as my friend says, Use your privilege for good, and this is my best attempt to do that. And because my Christian heritage is evangelicalism, I do consider myself bro-evangelical passing. Meaning, I can speak this language fluently because it's still part of who I am. I have to recognize that. Because of this, I am, as Paul says, able to be all things to all people, which is exactly what I was at this summit. Now, I wasn't dishonest at all. Everyone I spoke to knew who I was, and if they didn't, I told them pretty quickly in the conversation so they were fully aware and did not feel like they were speaking to me under false pretenses. I also want to acknowledge in this video that I will be using the word woke throughout it because it it was used at the event, but the term woke originates from black culture and has been appropriated by white evangelicalism to be used as a slur towards black and now other historically marginalized communities. With that being said, let's get into it. This pastor summit boasted 1,100 people, mostly pastors and ministry leaders with their wives. Yes, this was a male-dominated event and it was mostly white. However, that doesn't mean it was all white. As I saw at America Fest, there were absolutely people of different races, including black and Hispanic folks in attendance. Regarding the denominational makeup, they didn't say, but it was clear they were casting a pretty wide net. From the stage, Charlie acknowledged that there were both, quote, swinging from the chandelier Pentecostals and reformed 
more people in attendance with even a few folks like clergy from the Catholic and mainline denominations. Because of this, they were extremely light on theology, except to say that they believe in the inerrancy of scripture in the Nicene Creed. I also suspect this is why there were no women pastors speaking on the stage, except for one session that was called Women in Faith with three women, only one of which was an actual female pastor. I'm of the opinion that Turning Point Faith is highly aware of how controversial the idea of women leading ministry of women leading in ministry is to their target audience so they decided to play it as safe as possible because let's face it even so-called egalitarian spaces in evangelicalism are still male dominated patriarchy is very much a core part of the theology and sociology that fuels this engine good men lead well and good women support their men for leading well but also by leading other women well now, you might be wondering with so many different theological positions in the room, what exactly were they attempting to unify around? Well, that brings us to the opening session. Pastor Rob McCoy opened the summit by immediately saying that the COVID restrictions we saw during the pandemic were an assault on the freedom of the church by a tyrannical government. I'm not kidding. That was said within the first minute of this event. He even referred to California Governor Gavin Newsom as Governor Mussolini, which was met with laughter and a few hearty amends. Now look, I'm not going to pretend to be shocked that this summit was really centered around right-wing politics with white Jesus orbiting around its center as the justification for them. But what did surprise me is how these pastors didn't seem that concerned that the true hierarchy of priorities at this event was a specific political paradigm at the top and everything else underneath of it supporting it. As is expected in conservative evangelical spaces, there were claims that they are simply standing on biblical truth, but the reality is that they are interpreting the Bible in a specific way that gives justification for their political viewpoint. And look, to a degree, I think we all do this, including me, but they insist that they are just reading the Bible plainly and people like me and you, or the Wokies as they called us, were not committed to the true faith because we aren't committed to their very narrow and specific biblical interpretation. For example, there was a session with the owner of In-N-Out Burger talking about how important faith was to his success. Now, despite the owners of In-N-Out being worth billions of dollars and the company grossing billions, the average employee makes about $35,000 a year, according to Zipia.com. Do you think that James 5 was brought up as a warning to the rich business owners who hoard wealth at their employees' expense? No, it was not. Again, they claim that they are reading the Bible plainly, but the reality is that, like everyone else, they are actually interpreting it. The question I would ask is who does their interpretation benefit? Mainly them. Because from my vantage point, it seems that their interpretation gives them the justification to see other people as demonic enemies that are threatening their way of life. This was seen clearly when Michael Knowles took the stage to talk about the quote, trans agenda. One of the hardest parts for me was really watching a thousand pastors tolerate the dehumanization of an entire people group. From the stage, Michael compared being trans to a virus that is infecting people and taking over their minds, causing them to live a delusional lifestyle, and that as Christians, they had an obligation not to entertain their quote-unquote delusion, in love of course. No sense of empathy or even trying to understand something that might be foreign to them. Instead, they appeal to a literalist interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2 to then justify why this trans movement is an invader coming for their freedoms, which I must say is a little ironic considering that it is Christians who are introducing anti-trans legislation and not trans folks introducing anti-Christian legislation. But this is how evangelicalism, broadly speaking, behaves. Anyone 
or anything that asks for equity is seen as a threat to Christian privilege. Never mind that there are a quarter of a million churches in America, a Christian publishing industry, a Christian movie industry, a Christian music industry, a Christian church industry, and that 90% plus of Congress identify as Christian. For them to be even asked a little bit to tolerate the existence and recognition of other people different from them is seen as an attack on their perceived right to control and gatekeep what's allowed in the public square. Yes, Target was brought up frequently and used as proof that the quote, satanic agenda was coming for kids. What was the satanic agenda actually? Three t-shirts sold in Target that no one had to buy. And by the way, if you haven't realized it by now, you should know that they see being queer or being woke as being in a religion. This is a pretty standard tactic used by evangelicalism in general, and it's no exception here. Once you deem something a religion, you then have justification to fight the false religion of the day that is turning people to worship the false god of self or pride, gender, race, etc. And now you have an obligation to destroy or eradicate said religion. This is how they justify their hardline political stances. To the right-wing Christian, they are fighting a religious war even if the people on the other side aren't religious or are devoted Jesus people who just want to live their lives and be afforded the same rights as everyone else. These spaces are convinced that they have the corner on the objective truth of God's word and everyone who doesn't see it that way is worshiping a false god. Even Christians who would disagree with their stances like me are seen as outsiders and not truly Christian. Virus language was prevalent throughout the event. Wokeness is a virus taking over the minds of people. It's Marxism. It's threatening to destroy the country. And it's a contagion that will spread like crazy if Christians don't stop it. And if left unchallenged, it will end up putting pastors in prison. This sentiment was reinforced throughout the event from multiple speakers. Now look, I I don't want to be this guy. But as someone who grew up in evangelicalism since day one, I can tell you that I've heard these types of warnings for at least three decades. I even asked a speaker at this event to help me understand where this Marxist communism threat was. They seem to use these words interchangeably. I brought up that during integration, for example, Christians held up signs like this one insisting integration or integrating the races was communism. The threat of communism or Marxism is literally decades old, so forgive me if I have a hard time believing that if Joe Biden gets reelected, America will be destroyed by the Marxist agenda. After all, it wasn't Marxists who stormed our Capitol building trying to hang the vice president. It was Christian nationalism. Speaking of Christian nationalism, Charlie insisted that they were not Christian nationalists while in the next breath saying that he's a Christian and a nationalist. I'm not sure how you square that circle, but I'll have to roll with it for the sake of this video. Now, there is a rift happening between Pentecostal Christian nationalists like Sean Foyt, who works closely with Turning Point Faith, and Reformed Christian nationalists like Stephen Wolf, who have written books arguing for ethnic boundaries in a society where blasphemy laws are enforced. When I heard people reference Christian nationalism at the pastor summit, they were referencing that type of nationalism and therefore did not see themselves as Christian nationalists. Some did seem legitimately concerned about America becoming a theocracy because which theocracy would be enacted? Fair question. But what they fail to see is that they are advocating for Christian nationalism in their own way. Sean Foyt's Kingdom at the Capitol tour, for example, is openly promoted by Turning Point Faith. And make no mistake, Sean believes that Christians should be the ones in charge as much as possible. That's why we get called. Well, you're Christian nationalists. You want you want the kingdom to be the government. Yes. You want God to come and overtake the government. Yes. 
You want Christians to be the only ones? That yes, we do. <laughs> we wouldn't be a disciple of Jesus if we didn't believe that. We want God to be in control of everything. We want believers to be the ones writing the laws. Yes, guilty as charged. I understand that many in that space might not agree with this assessment, but at its core, Christian nationalism believes that America is a Christian country and that Christians have a God-ordained duty to make sure that the nation is kept that way by privileging Christianity over other religions in all spheres of life, including the government. And to be very clear, by Christian, I mean white, conservative, evangelical, and maybe Catholic theology. This is a very specific flavor of Christianity that they believe must be kept at the forefront of the American life. This is why when someone brought up the Ten Commandments bill trying to be passed in Texas that would force every public school classroom to display them, the room erupted in applause. Any chance to privilege their faith, even if it infringes on the rights of others, is a win for the Christian nationalist. This also means that other forms of Christianity are seen as a threat. Charlie warned pastors to be aware of new youth and worship pastors coming out of seminaries because, quote, 95% of seminaries are woke. Now, he did, he did not provide a source to this. He just told the room to trust him on it. But what is at the root of this term, quote, wokeism at events like this? Well, it's Marxism, and that's why James Lindsay was there. Now, James Lindsay is an atheist with a PhD in mathematics who is seen by people in these spaces as the expert on CRT and Marxism. James has written several books on these topics, and he spoke at the previous pastor summit. Now, I got to be honest, when I saw that James was a featured speaker at a pastor summit, my eyebrows went up because while personally I have plenty of friends who are in incredibly intelligent, compassionate, and knowledgeable atheists, in evangelical spaces, atheists are seen as people who have no moral grounding, intentionally deny the reality of God, and really aren't to be trusted. I mean, look at how evangelical apologist Frank Turek, who also spoke at the summit, tweets about atheists. But this all goes out the window when it comes to James, because to them, James is the academic that gives this movement the street cred needed. Which, by the way, it is weird to me that they are championing an academic considering that Charlie wrote a book called The College Scam and right-wing media constantly decries higher education as being full of liberal elites who hate people like them, but I digress. One of James's biggest points while speaking to Charlie on stage was that distinctions matter and that wokeism or Marxism, these terms are also used interchangeably as far as I can tell, blurs these distinctions, but this once again demonstrates how selected they are about the Bible. Is Paul, for example, a Marxist for saying that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus? Now, I'm just making the point that this worldview folds in on its time and time again because while it sounds nice to claim that you're standing on the full word of God, the reality is that everyone prioritizes passages over others. It sounds nice to make black and white statements about sexual ethics or sexuality until you realize that so many of the people who are supported and promoted in this space don't live up to these ideals at all and they get a free pass and in some cases get a free pass after being found liable for sexually assaulting a woman. Perhaps, though, it gets no more ironic than hearing so much talk about protecting kids from being groomed by the gay agenda and Target, yet Rolling Stone reported after the summit was over that one of the sponsors of the event was led by a man who was a registered sex offender for trying to solicit an underage female. 
I am not kidding you. Now, Charlie could have admitted that they didn't vet all their sponsors and that given their strong stance against grooming, they take full responsibility for letting this man attend an event where children were present and they will do better in the future. But instead, he doubled down saying the following in a tweet, quote, first, I've never met this person. He was one of many exhibitors at our event. He's not a quote, corporate sponsor, but rather a small business trying to market his company. I'm told from the team that coordinates exhibitors that he's a nice person who did something wrong over a decade ago. And unlike Target, he repented and that that experience led him to his faith. Good for him. That's the gospel. Lastly, he doesn't hide what happened. He tells his story on his own website and the jerks at Rolling Stone took that public testimony and called the exclusive just to unfairly smear him and play gotcha with me and TPUSA Faith. Rolling Stone should be ashamed. Trash outlets that publish trash hit pieces about an event that they didn't witness and know nothing about, unquote. Now, we could make another video unpacking all of this, but you should know a few things. First, parents attended this event with their children. A repentant child abuser should not be at events where children are present. And I hope that this would be a hearty bipartisan amen. But I guess for Charlie, it's not. That's weird. Second, saying you're sorry does not absolve you from the consequences of your actions. And thirdly, this man absolutely hides what happened to him because if you watch his testimony video on his website, he says nothing about what he did, but instead paints a picture that he went through a traumatic ordeal where his life was taken away from him. What he doesn't say is that the reason that all happened is because he tried to coerce an underage girl. It's absolutely crazy to me that we're really supposed to believe that they are looking out for the children as they scream at Target for selling three t-shirts that you don't have to buy and acknowledging that queer people exist, but then defend their own actions and deflect responsibility for having an actual sexual predator at their pastor's summit. But I gotta say, this in my experience, broadly speaking, is par for the course. Because when you think God's on your side, you can do no wrong and everything is excusable. This is the danger of fundamentalism. Okay, but was there anything good? Anything that gave me hope? Yes, there was. I had some amazing, deep, and nuanced conversations with so many people and pastors. This is what makes things so complicated. I met some pastors, including ones, by the way, who didn't like me online, and we talked, and we talked some more, and we kept talking, and before I knew it, I ended up spending most of my time hanging out and tagging along with them. We talked about everything, and we even found agreement in some surprising areas. For example, I was at coffee with five pastors, and we all agreed that the student loan industry is predatory, unethical, and that education should be affordable. Then we agreed that people deserve to have affordable housing. I swear to you, we really had that conversation and we all agreed. That's a win. Having conversations was another reminder that I was talking to people fully made in the image of God. These aren't Christian nationalists or or far-right robots. They have families and they are into things like pop culture and movies and music and there's more to them than just their politics or theology. Most of my day was spent talking to people. Some were were more well-known, others were attendees. All of them were willing to talk to me and share their concerns, but also, dare I say, appeared somewhat reasonable. Maybe they were all catfishing me, but there was such a massive difference between what was said on the stage and the people I met. That's what makes events like this complicated. They are targeting other groups of people with dehumanizing language, and that leads somewhere, and that's a major problem. 
And as Christians, we believe that all people are made with inherent dignity and worth, but it's hard to believe them when they're calling people demonic, evil, and vile groomers. To sum it all up, I'm glad I had the chance to sit and talk with many of these people. After all, we are all on the same planet and we don't believe that violence is an answer, so conversations and dialogue must be part of the change we all want to see. But I'm also very concerned at the level of rhetoric, dehumanization, and half-truths that were so easily propagated on the platform and consumed by 1,100 pastors who all have congregations they are influencing. Claiming to speak on behalf of God is a very, very powerful tool that can convince people to do things that cause immense harm to people. History has those receipts, and we need to remember that. Evangelical fundamentalism believes that it is doing just that, and therefore does not see any reason to think critically about what it espouses. After all, if God is for them, who can be against them, right? My other concern is that I don't see a major effort by more moderate slash progressive Christians, especially evangelicals, pushing back on this stuff publicly. Like it or not, right-wing media organizations dominate social media despite their complaints of censorship. Turning Point is a multi-million dollar organization that did $54 million in funding last year. They are unified with other organizations like the Daily Wire and now intentionally are working with big evangelical churches like Dream City in Arizona, Calvary Chapel in Chino Hills, and Cornerstone Chapel to create Turning Point Faith chapters inside of the church. I believe what they're peddling is dangerous and causes harm to people in their crosshairs with no regard for their constitutional or human rights. We need pastors and faith leaders to explicitly name this and to resist it. Turning Point Faith and many of the pastors there are crystal clear about where they stand on major cultural issues, and I don't see that same clarity as often as I'd like from other people who I know are really concerned but don't want to speak out and rock the boat. Please, for the sake of all of our neighbors, I implore you to speak up. I am more convinced than ever that we must work together to build coalitions to resist this ideology at all costs without dehumanization because that leads to violence every time. My message to Turning Point is this. First, thank you for talking to me and allowing me to come to the Pastor Summit. All the conversations I had with you were 100% genuine and you know my door is open anytime to talk more. I invite you to think about better ways forward? What if the way of Jesus is one that invites us to examine our own complicity in harming others made in the image of God, but has given us the gift of repentance to make our wrongs right? What if other people, different from me and you, can actually show us things about God that give us a more beautiful and full picture of the divine? What if we approach other people with curiosity instead of hostility? As a former evangelical fundamentalist, I'm telling you, there are better ways forward rooted in the way of Jesus that promote all of human flourishing as we work together to bring glimpses of heaven on earth. Thank you so much for watching this video. We are a grassroots funded nonprofit holding space for thousands of people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocating for accountability in the church, and helping people explore the Christian tradition beyond fundamentalism. If you want to support our work, you can donate via the link in our show notes or share this video. Talk to you all next time.